Well, good morning. I wasn't, wasn't exactly expecting to, uh, to be preaching to a, to a mostly empty room, but uh, you know, we're certainly confident that um, when God's Word is preached, uh, when He's given us a message, that whoever needs to hear it, He'll make sure it gets to them. So, um, happy to be up here this morning um, and excited to share I'm really excited to share this message that I feel like God's uh, given me, that's put on my heart, that I feel like um, a lot of us need to hear. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I did a lot of running. I ran on the cross-country team, uh, and most of our, our meets where we competed, they were on Saturday mornings. So because running 3.1 miles as fast as you possibly can, you know, it takes a lot of energy, we would go to Fazoli's after practice almost every Friday as, as a team, all together. Uh, Fazoli is, is basically, for those of you who aren't aware, is just basically like a fast food version of Olive Garden. You know, we justified it saying that we were going to load up on, on carbs uh, to get ready for, for the big race, uh, and there certainly is a, a little bit of an element of truth to that, but um, I really think it was more than anything just an excuse uh, to stuff our faces with pasta and pizza and all-you-can-eat breadsticks. Um, you know, we were a bunch of high school boys, so I think that's kind of to be expected. And every Friday, every Friday night at Fazoli's, we'd sit down as a team, and we had this game that we played. It was kind of a tradition. And typically, one of our, our seniors or uh, a team captain would head this game up. It's called Sugar, Sugar, Salt. It's quite a simple game. Typically, you know, you know, well, every time, really, we, we would count however many people there were at the, at the table with us, which normally ended up being a pretty good group of 15 to 20 people or so. And so the team captain would, would count that many people and take that many sugar packets, and we'd rip all those sugar packets open. We'd dump just one, dump one of them out, and fill it back up with salt. We were, we were always very diligent to make sure that it was the exact same amount of salt as was in all the other sugar packets. It was very evil, very equal, so that there were, you, know, you couldn't distinguish which was a sugar and which was a salt. And then we just distribute them completely randomly. Nobody knew where the salt was. So everyone gets one. You know, we'd, al we'd always try, you know, kind of sniff the sugar, see if we could tell a difference and feel it. And like, oh, I think this one has a little bit more. I think it's the salt. But there was really no way of knowing. So once everyone had one, the team captain would count on the count of three, and we would just all throw it back at the same time. So for, for most of us, it was, it was a very pleasant experience. We just got this big mouthful of sugar, and that was fine. But for that one poor, unfortunate soul, they got a mouthful of salt. And I had had that unfortunate experience of getting the salt more than once, and I can assure you that it was not a fun experience. I remember there was this one time we were at Fazoli's playing this, and we all threw back our, our packets, and, you know, you throw them back, and you eagerly look around to see afterwards. You, you're, okay, I'm safe, I got sugar, and, of course, you eagerly look around the room to see who got the salt. You know, there's kind of this adrenaline rush after you realize that, like, okay, one, two, three, and then, okay, I got the sugar, I'm good. So we were all, we were all looking around to see which poor unfortunate soul got the salt this time. But for whatever reason, we all kind of just looked around the table at each other and nobody seemed to really be responding. And then 
for whatever reason, one, one of our, our freshmen, he decides to kind of, he, he faked it and started, he, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got it, I got it. And we we're like, no, there's no, okay, that's not, he's, he's faking it. He clearly didn't actually get, you know, a big mouthful of salt. He didn't get it. We we're all very confused. And, and finally, after a few seconds, finally, somebody turns around, runs the nearest trash can, and spits up this big mouthful uh, of salt and is, is coughing violently. And I was like, okay, there we go. He got it. We knew. You know, when you, when you throw back a big mouthful of salt, <laughs> you're going to have a very noticeable reaction and a very unpleasant one at that, I'm sure. It's, it's going to be obvious. There's just no way that you're not going to have a reaction. You know, we spent the last few months of our, our real series talking about the real God and what he's like. And more recently, we talked about our real Savior, Jesus, by looking at some of the misconceptions about who Jesus is and examining the truth of who he is. And so today, we're going to move forward with the next part of our, our real series called Real Change. When we meet the real Jesus, our real Savior, there is, without a doubt, going to be real change in our lives. And I couldn't help but think back to that game when I started thinking about this idea of real change. You know, we, we knew when someone got the salt, and everyone could tell who got the salt, because they had a clearly obvious, a clearly visible reaction to it. And the same thing is supposed to happen to us when we meet the real Jesus. Though obviously, unlike the salt, when we meet the real Jesus, it's a clearly positive reaction, but an obvious one nonetheless. When we meet him, we experience real change. When I think back to when I first met the real Jesus, I, I think one of the first things that changed for me was actually my, my self-image. So it seems kind of fitting uh, to me that we are starting out uh, our real change portion of the series by talking about just that. I met Jesus when I was in middle school, which is a time in life when I think that most people uh, wrestle with self-image quite a bit. I think most middle schoolers are, are just starting to kind of figure out who they are, and they seek to define themselves by, you know, by what they're good at, you know, what they like, or just what other people think of them. And I know I was that way, and I struggled a lot to realize who I really am during that time. Our self-image, how we see ourselves, and how much self-worth we have is something we always struggle with, because I think we tend to define ourselves based on what other people say. We let the world tell us who we are. When we see ourselves how the world sees us, we can very quickly become overconfident in ourselves, or we become hateful of ourselves. Either route is, is harmful and inaccurate. In the book of Luke, Jesus addresses some people who fell into the category of thinking way too highly of themselves. And he does so by telling them a parable of two different men who go to the temple to pray, to talk to God. And it says this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, it's pretty clear to see that the Pharisee in the story had a, a very high view of himself. He was a high-standing religious leader in that time, and he no doubt prided himself in his position and on all the knowledge he had gathered over the years. He kept all the rules and knew everything there was to know, so therefore felt like he was better than everyone else, you know, especially those sinners, such as the tax collector that was in the room with him. His self-image was based on his position, his knowledge, and his accomplishments. And I don't think we are all that different in some ways from this Pharisee. We see ourselves as better and better the more accomplishments we have and the higher up we get in our careers. We pride ourselves on our degrees, our education, and, and think we are better and, and smarter than others because of that. You know, we pride ourselves on our careers and how quickly we've advanced and how high up we are now. Uh, in our society, we very much have a, a tendency to evaluate our self-worth and see ourselves based on our careers and what achievements we've made in our lives. So naturally, it can become easy to start to become overconfident in our, our own perceptions of ourselves when we advance in, in knowledge and positions and careers. And it's, it's clearly dangerous to, to think so highly of ourselves. Jesus even warns us at the end of the parable that we read, he says that those who lift themselves up, those who put themselves on a pedestal, those who think the, that they're amazing, they will be humbled. We are not better than anyone else because of our job or our education or anything like that. We, we are not better than anyone else because of any of those kind of achievements. We are, great. We are not great because of what we do or, or what we've achieved because these things simply just do not define us. And then across the room from the Pharisee was this tax collector who had also come to the temple just to simply pray to God, to speak with God. But while the Pharisee came with this distorted view that he was amazing because of all of his accomplishments and his great rule-keeping, we have another man opposite him who comes for, for, with quite a different view of himself. This tax collector came to speak to God, but he was too ashamed to even get too close, too ashamed to even look up to heaven. And he openly acknowledges that he is a sinner. In, in Jesus' time, tax collectors had, this, you know, they were, had a terrible reputation. They were widely despised. They were greedy, selfish people who would take money from the poor and just keep it for themselves. You know, they bent the rules for their own betterment, looking out for themselves. So this guy has no doubt clearly made a lot of mistakes in his life and has been living in sin, and has, this has brought him to a very low place. He clearly doesn't see himself too highly. In fact, he sees himself as such a terrible person that he's really just not even worth, worthy uh, of getting close to God or looking towards him even. So on the one hand, we have a guy who thinks he's great because of all he's done and he's just better than everyone. And on the flip side, we have a guy who sees himself as unworthy, unlovable, and just a sinner. A lot of us, I think, share that same self-image. We feel worthless because 
we can't keep a job, aren't talented enough, we don't, we don't look good enough. You know, the list can go on and on. We've disappointed too many people. We've messed up too much. We've hurt too many people. We've made too big of a mistake. The issue with both of these self-images is that we are failing to define ourselves based on what the real God and the real Jesus say. We define ourselves based on our great accomplishments or our great jobs or knowledge, and we get too full of ourselves. We think we're great because of these things and better than others. Or we define ourselves based on the lack of any of those things and think we are worthless. We think we are unlovable. We think that we are just scripts and defined by how much we have messed up. Maybe it's the voice of the world. Maybe we, are, maybe we are just our own worst enemy and have our own dark thoughts that we just can't seem to shake. Satan uses a lot of tools to get us to believe, to believe and buy into lies about ourselves. When we believe these lies and begin to see ourselves in either of these ways, it can very quickly become dangerous. It can lead us to some very dark places. However, these lies and these false images that we hold of ourselves can be corrected when we see who we are based on the real God. Because we know the real God, the real Jesus, our self-image should change, and it needs to change. We need to believe these truths about who we really are. And the first is simply that God created you. In Psalm 139, 13 through 15, it says, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The same God that created the stars, the moon, the sun, the earth, the oceans, the animals, everything is the very same God that made you. And not only did he make you, but he knew you before time even began. God also has a purpose for you. Not only did the creator of the universe make you himself, but he didn't do so absentmindedly. He did so with a purpose. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are not an accident, and you are not worthless. God made you, and he has always had something in mind for you. He's always had a purpose for creating you. God never makes mistakes, and he certainly didn't start with you. God loves you so much. The maker of all creation, he not only made you and made you with a reason, that's already incredible and mind-blowing in and of itself, but he made you, he made you with a purpose, and he also loves you and cares deeply about you. In 1 John 3, 1, we read, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God loves you. He didn't just create you to use you, but also to call you his own, to call you his child, to be his child, to know how much he loves and cares about you. And Jesus died for you. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You are God's creation, created by him with a purpose and loved deeply by him. You are so loved that God was willing to send his son to die as a sacrifice so that you could simply have a relationship with your heavenly father. Once we know the real Jesus, that is how we need to see ourselves. That is how we are truly defined, and that is where we get our worth. Nothing else is not earned and added to based on our achievements or anything we do. Titus 3, 5 through 7 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And no matter how messed up or unlovable we feel, that does not change who we are at all either. Romans 8, 38-39 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And some of us may think real highly of ourselves, but once we know the real Jesus, we realize that we are great, but only because of God. It has absolutely nothing to do with us. Some of us see ourselves as just worthless, unlovable burdens to those around us, but once we meet the real Jesus, we realize that we are deeply loved creations of God who has a purpose for us. As followers of Jesus, this is such an important change to make. We have to define our worth based on what God says and not what the world says or what we tell ourselves even. It can become so easy to listen to the lies that Satan tells us that we soon have this this twisted, horrible image of ourselves and it can become very easy to become trapped in that. And this can have a profound impact on our mental and spiritual health. And these are very real, very important things that we need to take care of. You need to know, you need to know that you are not alone. God created you and loves you, and knowing the real Jesus should and does change us. But we sometimes struggle to believe that we are who God says we are. We struggle to believe those things are are actually true about us. If you struggle to see yourself in that way, if you struggle to believe those truths apply to you, first of all, ask God to open your eyes to who you are and him. Ask him to really help you believe that those things are true of you because they are. Regardless of, of what is going on or how you feel, those things are true of you, and who better to ask for help believing in them than the one who knows you best. Come to God and be honest. Invite him to change your perspective of yourself. The lies we listen to or even say about ourselves don't stand a chance when we believe God's truth, when we believe what God says about us. And God also, he created us to be in community and to help one another. 
not to fight these battles on our own. Find someone to talk to who can remind you of who you really are in Christ. It is okay to reach out, to ask for help. You should never, ever be ashamed of of reaching out and asking for help of any kind, and especially not for your own mental health. We are defined by God and who he says we are. Nothing else gives us worth or defines us. We need to know that and believe that as followers of Jesus. If we don't believe that we are loved or valuable, how are we supposed to tell others that? Why would other people believe that God loves them if it's clear that you don't believe God loves you? We can't let the world and its standards define how much we are worth. As far as deciding how much worth or value a person has, the world has horrible, uh, twisted guidelines. But I actually think when it comes to deciding how much worth an object has, I actually think our society has some aspects that are good and can really and can be and should be applied to how we see ourselves. When you think about things like collector's items, things like uh, paintings, historical objects, or even just things like fashion and, and clothing, there seem to be two things that uh, across the board will add a lot of value to an object. And the first is simply who made it. If I painted a painting and tried to sell it, nobody would buy that. Absolutely, I can guarantee it. Why? Because, first of all, it would be absolutely terrible. And second, because nobody knows who I am. I have no credibility in the art community, believe it or not. On the other side, though, anything that somebody like uh, Vincent Van Gogh has ever done in his life, I'm sure is insanely expensive, no matter, no matter what it looks like, even some of his early stuff. I, you know, no matter what it is, if he did it, if it can be proved that he did it, I'm sure it's ridic- ridiculously you know, expensive because he's obviously a very famous painter. You know, and the, same, the, the same concept goes for things like, like comics. You know, comics are collectible items. You know, depending on who wrote it and who did the artwork for it, it, the value goes way up. Fashion, too, same thing applies. And you can see that in just any store. It might be you know, mostly the same product, pretty much the exact same pair of shoes or the same shirt, but a pair of Nike shoes will be much more expensive just because it's Nike and they made it and Nike has a name for themselves now. The second thing that really determines an item's value is just simply how much someone is willing to pay for it. You can take something like a worthless sheet of paper and an ordinary pen that aren't worth anything. But you take that piece of paper and that pen and you have a famous actor or musician sign that piece of paper with nothing else but just their name on that piece of paper and all of a sudden people would be willing to pay tons and tons of money for it. You know, something like a signed sports card of any kind isn't really worth you know, anything to me. I wouldn't pay a dime for, for sports cards. But there's lots of people out there that would pay tons and tons of money for those kinds of things. And the more people are willing to pay for something, the value increases. I think that if we look at ourselves through these standards, then we can get a much better and much more accurate image of ourselves and what we are actually worth. 
God created you. He's the one that made you. And I think he's got a few notable works that you may be familiar with, like the sky and the stars, the moon, and our whole planet. So you were created by God, and he paid the ultimate price for you too, the highest possible price. Jesus died for you so that you could be with God forever. You were created by the greatest artist of all time and were bought with the ultimate price. So when you take a look at yourself, look at yourself by those standards, and you'll really begin to realize that you're worth far more than you could ever begin to imagine. As we consider these things, you know, normally on a, on a Sunday morning, we invite you to come forward if you have decisions to make. But we always emphasize that this does, anytime you have a decision to make, anytime that you have anything you need help with, that that invitation is always open. You know, and you may not be here in person to make that, you know, to make to come forward and, and ask for help, but that decision or that, that time is certainly always available. We want you to know that if you if you need help, if you need somebody to pray with you, um, these things that we've talked about today, if you need help of any kind, um, we want you to know that, that you know that we are always here for you. Reach out to us if you need prayer, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need help making a decision for Christ, whether that's to accept him for the first time or maybe you feel like there's been some distance, we are always here to talk to you about that, even if you're not here in person. We're always available. Shoot us a message. Or if you just need somebody to talk to, like we've talked about today, taking care of your own mental health, of how you see yourself is so important. If you need help, we are always here and always willing to talk, so please reach out. Would you join us as you, as you consider these things? Would you join us in, as we sing together?